So as Jerry mentioned, you know, a lot of these passages that we're going through um, are pretty weighty and difficult. And so after last week, I almost felt like I wanted to apologize for how weighty it was, but I should just confess that that's wrong. You know, we don't want to apologize for God's word because it is applicable, it is good, it can teach us, it can convict us, it can encourage us. And so no matter what the passage is um, that we're going through during this series, even if it's really challenging, I um, just want you guys to be encouraged in that, that we have an opportunity to take what we get, apply it to our lives, and to, to grow in Christ's fellowship. So all those things are really, really important. So today, um, it is in the worship guide underneath this, if you haven't already pulled that up, or if you'd rather be old school like me and use your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8 today, and then we're also going to be in um, Luke chapter 9 a little bit later on. Um, so you're more than welcome to follow along through the scripture itself with me. Um, so as we continue talking just about what discipleship looks like, you know, I've kind of been thinking about where we live and even in our country. So there was a time um, here culturally where it was, it was worthwhile to be a Christian and where um, it was even desirable for a lot of people. And it was even expected as well in, in the area in which we live. But it's not really as much the case anymore. Um, we may not feel it as much in Northeast Tennessee but the fact is that it's no longer necessarily popular to be a Christian in our culture today. Um, and so we have this idea of this cultural Christianity, where essentially what it means to be a Christian is to be a good person, follow the religious rules, go to church regularly, um, and a bunch of other rules that we apply to ourselves. Um, but this isn't exactly what it means to be a true Christ follower, to be a true disciple of Jesus. Um, it, it misses the mark. And so as we continue in this series, I think we can learn what Scripture says it means to follow Jesus, where the bar is much higher than what we have set for ourselves. And that's really what we're going to look at today, is what discipleship should and should not look look like. Um, so these passages that we're going to read today in Matthew and in Luke, they both occur right after the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we talked about that some last week, where that's uh, Christ's famous message, where he is kind of turning everything upside down that people believe during that time, and he's making it much, much deeper of what it means to follow him. Um, and so at the end of chapter 7, where Jesus is finished preaching, uh, we can read the last verse in chapter 7. It says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. So it's really important for us to understand the reaction of the crowds as they are coming down the mountain from hearing Jesus. So he's speaking way differently than any other teacher they've ever heard before. He's speaking as he has authority, as if he is God himself, which of course he is, um, but he's just speaking differently. And so as he's doing this, it's leaving people wanting more. They're excited, they're amped up after hearing him um, preach, and they, they have a desire to, to follow him. You know, they're left wanting more, left astonished. So this really helps us to understand the reaction of the three um, disciples that we're going to see today. Three different people that hear his message and are excited and they want to follow him. They want something more. And so they come to him and say, hey, I want to follow you, Jesus. Um, and so we can understand why they have that desire. But what we're going to see is that Jesus has some really harsh things to say to these disciples, or it sounds harsh to us. And it's going to sound really provocative, some of the things that he's saying. But if we actually dive a little bit deeper and look at what he's telling us, then we'll see that there is something so much more to be gained there, as there always is in Scripture. 
um, something that we can apply to our lives. So let's go ahead and read the first passage. So we're in Matthew chapter 8, and we are in verses 18 through 20. So I've got my Bible. It's also on the screen there if you don't have it with you. Um, but if you'd like to follow along in those few verses, starting in verse 18, this is the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So this is God's word for us today. It sounds um, really hard and really difficult, um, but as you're going to see, we're, we're going to uh, look at today three ways to not follow Jesus. Um, so we're going to look at these three disciples in a loose term, these three would-be or wannabe disciples, okay? Um, so the first disciple we have, the first would-be disciple, is somebody that's unwilling to bear the cross, and we're going to talk about what that means. So the beginning of our passage, you know, Jesus is coming down from, from speaking. There's all these crowds, these people that are following him, um, but they're probably following him for the wrong reasons. And, you know, Jesus' ministry continues to move. He continues to proclaim that to different people. So he decided, hey, we're going to go across the Sea of Galilee. And so we're introduced to our first would-be disciple. It's a scribe. Now, the scribes, they had really significant power during Christ's day. Um, so their job essentially was to copy, interpret, and sometimes even to teach God's law to his people. And so because of this and their role, they had a really great influence um, religiously during their day and their culture. Um, and in the Gospels, anytime that you see a scribe, usually they're not really looked at in a very positive light. A lot of times they're seen really, really negatively. And the same is true for this scribe here. Even though he sounds like somebody that wants to follow Jesus, when he speaks to him, he calls him teacher. And so anytime in the Gospels when somebody is calling Jesus teacher, um, they're essentially saying, hey, I think you're, you're really solid at proclaiming God's word or to give these different teachings to us. But they're falling short of seeing him as the son of God and as the Messiah. So whenever somebody uses the word teacher to call Jesus teacher, it means that they're kind of a loose disciple. Somebody that's kind of on the outer edge, like, eh, you have some really good things to say, but I'm not quite there with you yet. I don't quite see you as um, you're proclaiming to be. And so that's what's going on here. You have the crowds that are not true disciples, and then you have this scribe who maybe has a desire, but he's still not quite there yet. He's a little bit of a, a would-be disciple. And so if we look um, in verse 19 at what he says, he says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, a statement like that might make you think that he is like a model disciple, right? Like who wouldn't want to say that to Jesus? And um, if you're making other disciples yourself and somebody says, I want to follow you as you follow Jesus, I want to follow him. That sounds like a really good thing to us. But then whenever we look at Christ's response, we see things are not quite as it should be. So look with me at verse 20. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So you would think if you were Jesus, a simple attaboy would probably do, right? Like, hey, good job. I'm glad you want to follow me. Come on, let's go. But that's not what Jesus does. So why would Jesus seem to kind of shoot down this, um, this disciple's desire to follow him and what's going on here? 
But you see, in Scripture, we can tell that Jesus always cares about the heart. And usually when he speaks to someone, he goes directly at their heart. And um, a lot of times points out something that's kind of a miss there. And so that's what Jesus is doing. In this moment, he is highlighting an issue in the heart of this scribe. So if you look at Jesus' reply, it's clear that Jesus knows the scribe is not as devoted as he might appear to be on the outside. He knows, Jesus knows that um, once things get a little bit difficult, the scribe is going to fall away. And whenever the discipleship just becomes too hard, too tough, too much, he's going to let go. He's no longer going to follow Jesus. Because you see, following Jesus is not guaranteed to be easy. In fact, if you were to look in Luke chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So what does he mean by this kind of a statement? See, to, to be a disciple of Jesus means to follow him fully, completely, including wherever it is that he goes. Jesus' ministry on earth, it was not easy. So here in this passage, we see that he has no guaranteed home or place to stay. He's always relying on the goodness of other people to give him um, a place to stay and lay his head down. Um, we also continually see that Jesus is persecuted by people during his, during his time. And as his earthly ministry continued to, to head towards Jerusalem, and eventually his crucifixion, where he had to physically and literally carry his own cross, and then, of course, die on the cross for us at Calvary. So to follow Jesus and to bear your own cross means to follow him wherever it is that he goes, even if it costs you everything in this life. So Jesus, he knows that this scribe, as devoted as he may seem to be at the moment, he's really just coming off with a spiritual high, coming down the mountain really, really excited and amped up from what Jesus has been saying and teaching and his authority as he's speaking in, in a way that nobody else ever has. But he also knows that this scribe, that, that spiritual high is eventually going to end. I think this experience that he's having, a lot of us can really relate to in our lives. I mean, have you ever had an a time in your life where you feel like, man, I can follow Jesus no matter what comes my way. It doesn't matter what it is, where he tells me to go. If I have to move overseas, I'm going to do it. I can follow Jesus. I'm so excited. I love him so much. And yet, that can go away in an instant as soon as life gets a little bit too hard and as soon as following him becomes too much for us. In that moment, sometimes the cost of following him can be too high. You know, for some of us, that, that could may, maybe look like, you know, helping a homeless person on the street. Or maybe it's walking up to somebody and sharing the gospel. Or maybe it's something as simple as uttering the name of Jesus to a coworker. And in that moment where we maybe before thought we could do whatever it took, sometimes we chicken out. Sometimes that, that cost of following Him is a little bit too high in that moment. We feel like the the potential of feeling a little bit weird or ostracized or a little bit extreme in our faith is a little bit too much. And so we back down from what it means to follow Jesus in that moment. I think a lot of us have experienced things like this in, in our life and in our faith. Um, and we haven't quite counted the cost of following Jesus and what it means. And so when that discipleship, when that fellowship gets too tough, sometimes we back down. See, Jesus knows that's what's going to happen to this scribe in this passage. And even though Jesus, he doesn't turn him down. He doesn't say, no, you cannot follow me. Jesus is loving him enough to tell him like, hey, there is a cost to following me. And you need to be aware of what that cost is and what that looks like. To follow me is, is going to cost you everything. You're going to have no guarantee of anything in this life. 
So if you want to follow me, you got to be prepared to count that cost. You got to be prepared to follow me no matter what. And that's what's going on. It's going to require a heart that's fully devoted to Jesus. So this, this would-be disciple, he's not quite prepared to pay the cost of following him. So this is our first example in this passage of a way to not follow Jesus. And something a lot of us, I think, can probably identify with. Now our second would-be disciple is someone who is unwilling to follow Jesus immediately. So we meet this second would-be disciple soon after the first. So if you look back at verses 21 and 22, it says, And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And if you were to look also in our um, parallel passage at Luke chapter 9, you would see that Jesus actually tells him to follow me. He says, you know, follow me and to proclaim the gospel. And he says the same sort of thing. Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Wow. That sounds really, really harsh, what Jesus is saying to this disciple. I mean, the, the poor guy just wants to go bury his dad, right? I mean, that's not so much to ask. How can um, Jesus not be loving enough to grant this one request for him to go back home and to kind of finish things up, to wrap up his affairs before he follows Jesus? Again, just like the first one, there's something a little bit more here. And so we need to take a minute to just kind of unwrap what it is that, that Jesus is saying in his response here. So this disciple, uh, depending on which passage you look at, if you look at Luke, um, he is called by Jesus himself, just like his other disciples earlier on in Matthew, to follow Jesus. And just like the, the first would-be disciple, just like the scribe, we see that this person, he's willing to follow Jesus, just not yet. He wants to follow Jesus, but he has a few other things to take care of first. Now, it may seem like Jesus is being really, really harsh, but we can actually be really certain that this man's father has not died yet. And we know this because we can look all throughout the Bible at the Israelites, at, at people during Christ's day and what it would look like if somebody were to, to pass away and what these um, funeral preparations would look like. So if you look um, elsewhere in Scripture, you see anytime that somebody's died, there's a lot of people involved. Sometimes even the entire town, if it's a small town, is involved. So you have people that are, that are helping, people that are weeping and crying out loud um, for this person that has died, people that are helping with the burial and preparation of the body and all these different things that are going on. So this is a really involved process. And so we can understand that this, this man's dad has not died because if his father had died, he wouldn't be there listening to Jesus in the first place. It wouldn't make sense for his father to die, to be in the middle of all these preparations, and then to hit pause on that, to go and listen to some guy named Jesus to give a sermon, and then to say, okay, Jesus, this is great, but I'm going to go finish what I'm doing here, I'm going to go bury my father, and then I'm going to come back and follow you. That just makes no sense at all. In fact, it was actually more likely that this man, um, his father, is probably nowhere near dying. Um, it was actually very common during this, this time period, whenever your parents are getting a little bit older, for a son to take care of his father's ailing parents for a long time. Um, because he's eventually going to inherit his father's land, his father's business, or whatever it is that he does. And so it would make more sense for this man to take care of his parents in their old age, whether that's just for a few months or a few years or even a, a full decade um, or however long he would take care of them help to run the family business or help take care of the land. And then after his father passes away and is buried, he inherits that land as his birthright. 
And so that's probably what's going on here, where this is just a common obligation where the man's like, hey, this is great, and I really, really do want to follow you, but I need to go and take care of the family business or, or go take care of my family for the next however long, several months, several years. And then once all that's done and wrapped up and everything and has ended, then I can finally come and follow you wherever you go, Jesus. That's what's going on. So understanding this, we can see that this man essentially just has an excuse to not follow Jesus right away. And so what Jesus is telling him is to leave the spiritually dead to take care of others, to take care of those that are dying. Leave the spiritually dead to take care of the dead. Leave behind the people that are not truly believing and following me to take care of one another so that you can go and do what you need to do. So that way you can go and to proclaim God's kingdom. Now, of course, Jesus isn't telling him, don't go back and to proclaim the gospel and evangelize the people in your family that are lost. That's not what he's saying. But Jesus is making the point that his kingdom, his mission, takes precedence over other things. The priority should be to follow Jesus immediately. But this man has completely missed the importance of Jesus and missed the importance of his kingdom. This man's fallen into the trap of allowing an excuse to hinder him from truly following Jesus as a disciple. So again, this, this would-be disciple, he does want to follow Jesus, just not yet. He has some other things to take care of first. And so for him, um, for this guy, it meant to take care of his father before following Jesus. But for many of us, it can mean many different things. It can mean maybe living our lives however it is that we want to while we're young, and then at some point in time in the future when we're a little bit older, we'll finally start following Jesus as we're supposed to. Or maybe for others, it could be um, trying to get, get our lives in order from past mistakes that we have made because we feel like we have to have things right and to be following Jesus before we can truly be a disciple. And for others of us, maybe it's looking at a certain season in life. We may think, after I get married or after I have kids or after I am financially stable because I've done the things I want to in my life, then I can set all that aside and I can finally follow Jesus as I'm supposed to. See, the truth is, we can come up with an unending list of excuses and reasons as to why we can't follow Jesus right now, but we're missing the point. We may think, oh, I, I believe in Jesus, and I believe who He is, and um, I want to be a true Christ follower, but just not yet. I'm not, I'm not ready yet. This type of would-be disciple is somebody that wants to follow Jesus, but not right yet, right now because we have completely missed the point. We've completely missed who Jesus is, and we allow excuses to prevent us from following Jesus. And I think a lot of us, a lot of you can probably relate to this. I mean, have you ever made an excuse as to why you can't follow Jesus right now? I would imagine you probably have. So as we look at the third um, disciple, we need to look at the passage in Luke. So if you want to turn there, or it is on the screen, we're in Luke chapter 9. And we'll go ahead and read this, the same kind of section. And so in Luke chapter 9, looking at verses 59 and following, it says, To another he said, Follow me. But the disciples said, Lord, let me first and go away bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But it's for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And then now we meet the third would-be disciple. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
So this third would-be disciple is somebody who is unwilling to devote his heart fully to Jesus. Now again, we're looking at um, the, the chapter in Luke, and so we're kind of changing up where we are. So just in case you're not familiar with it, the all four Gospels are giving true accounts of Jesus, but they're giving us different perspectives. It would kind of be like if you can imagine a car wreck takes place and there's all these different people that have witnessed it. And so if a police officer goes to each person, they're going to talk about the same thing that happened, but they're going to have a different view on what's going on. So that's what's happening here where um, in Matthew we have his perspective where there are two disciples and Luke somehow sees that there are three disciples. He has a different experience. And so it's the same exact thing that's happening but we have a third would-be disciple, which is important for us because it's something else that we can learn from this and apply to our own lives. So looking in, in Luke 9, verses 61 and 62, again, um, this third disciple, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, like before this rebuke from Jesus, it sounds pretty harsh. You know, I mean, why can't the poor guys just go back home and say goodbye to people? Who knows if we'll ever see him again? It can't take that long. Jesus can wait, you know, a few minutes, a few hours for this to take place. But once again, a lot more can be gained if we look a little bit deeper at what Jesus is saying to him. So here, Jesus, he's using an example of, of plowing a field, which would have been very familiar to um, his culture during the day, to an agricultural society. So whenever you plow a field, whether it was by oxen in Jesus' time period or using a tractor today, you can't take your eyes off of what you're doing. If you do, you're going to go off course and you're going to completely ruin and mess up everything that you just did. So in order to plow a field, you have to focus, pay attention, look at where you're going and make sure you're headed in the right direction. Jesus says, anyone who intends to follow me, who wants to be my disciple, must pay attention and must focus, and must give their entire effort into following me. He's saying, if you let your guard down in any way, you're going to veer off track. You're going to mess up in some way. You're not going to follow me. You won't be able to follow me fully. So Jesus isn't rebuke, or his rebuke is not because the man wants to go and say goodbye. It's because this man is not fully devoted to him in his heart yet. This would-be disciple hasn't broken away from the world in his heart and in his old life. He isn't able to follow Jesus fully because he is still attached to the world in some way. So I think this warning is very important for us in our culture today. You see, we can't claim to be a true Christ follower, a true disciple, and follow him and yet have a heart that's still connected to the world, still in love with the world and, and to a life of sin. See, Jesus' fellowship is an all-or-nothing fellowship. In Matthew chapter 6, um, Jesus, he's talking about money specifically, but it's still really applicable. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So even though he's talking about money, the premise is still the same here. He's saying you can't have a heart for Jesus and a heart for the things of this world. You're either going to be fully devoted to Jesus or fully devoted to this world. You can't do both. And if you try to think that you can, you're just fooling yourself. So the issue going on, this, this hard issue, is that the disciple, he was not fully devoted to Jesus yet. He may have wanted to follow him, but he was still really attached to this life that, he was, um, that was behind him. And Jesus is telling him, hey, you're not here yet. You're not truly prepared to follow me. 
And I think that's probably true for a lot of people in our culture. These people that would claim to follow Jesus, but their heart is still attached to their old life and to what's going on. I think the problem for us whenever we hear a sermon like this, look at passages like this, is we have the potential to really feel down about ourselves. Because I would imagine a lot of you, if you're like me, you can probably look at at least one part of each of these would-be disciples and say, man, I, I really connect with that person. I really feel like I'm that kind of a person where I'm missing the boat a little bit. But I would encourage you to, to take time and to look at these would-be disciples. And if you haven't connected them some way, then hopefully that's a good thing. Hopefully it means that you are truly following Jesus. But if you do in some way feel connected to one of these disciples or all of them, um, then take the time to confess that to Jesus, to repent from that. Um, because, you know, Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And if you're, you're a Christian, then you're already covered by his righteousness. So the good news with a sermon like this is you don't have to remain like one of these would-be disciples who is not fully devoted to, to God. But instead, you can repent and then change your life so that you are truly devoted to him and truly following him. So I think just as we can look at this and see three ways to not follow Jesus, um, we can also look at three ways to follow Jesus. So a truly devoted disciple um, does three things. They're going to follow Jesus no matter the cost. They're going to follow Jesus immediately. And they're going to follow Jesus completely. So when it comes to following Jesus, we are following both the person of Jesus, but then also his mission. So we follow the person of Jesus, the Savior who gave his life for us, so that way we would no longer live for ourselves, but live for him. We see that in 2 Corinthians 5.15. We follow Jesus because he is worthy of our hearts and being fully devoted to him. We follow Jesus because he has redeemed us from a kingdom of darkness and brought us into a kingdom of light. We follow Jesus because he has given his life for us, shed his blood for us, and purchased us by his blood. And we follow Jesus because he offers us himself and a relationship with him. And what greater love is there that, than that he would give his love or life for us? We also follow Jesus because of his mission. So God's word tells us in John 3, 16 and 17, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, Jesus came into the world so that he could save the world. And in fact, this is a free gift that he offers to anybody that would repent and believe it. The gospel has the power to save. And Jesus, he is calling his disciples to take part in his mission by sending us out into the world that we live in to make other disciples of Jesus. And even though the Great Commission may sound familiar to all of us, I would never assume that we all know it. So if you allow me in Matthew 28, at the very end of Jesus' life or time on earth, before he ascends into heaven, um, he is gathering with his disciples. And he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So this is the mission that a truly devoted follower of Jesus is called into. We are commanded to go and to make disciples. We are commanded to share the gospel with the world, to baptize them in the name of Jesus, 
to make disciples by, by teaching them all that God has commanded us, all that Jesus commanded us in Scripture. And we do this because Jesus has the authority to command it of us. And we do this not in our own power, but by His power through the Holy Spirit, because Jesus promises to be with us no matter what and always. So a true, devoted Christ follower makes other disciples of Jesus. And a devoted disciple also follows Jesus immediately and completely. See, true disciples, they don't avoid the cross that they are called to bear and to carry. True disciples, they submit all things to God, including their love of family and of friends. Not to neglect family, but as Paul would say, to count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So do you love Jesus this much? Do you love him so much that you're willing to consider everything else and everyone else um, almost as lost because they, they pale in comparison to your love of Jesus? Devoted disciples, they live their lives this way. They immediately follow Jesus, not allowing anything to prevent them or hinder them or slow them down in their fellowship of Jesus, allowing no excuse to delay them. And devoted followers of Jesus, they give their whole hearts to him, giving everything they have to obey his commands. Now, just because that's what a devoted disciple does, does that mean you're going to do it perfectly? Of course not. I know I definitely don't. There's plenty of times in my life where the cares of this world have seemed a little bit more important where I've wanted to do other things instead of following him. And daily I have to fight the, 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 the idea that anything else, whether it's my love of family or friends or anything else that I'm doing in life, is more important than, than following Jesus, knowing him, and loving him. There's going to be many other times in my life where other things are going to creep up and they may kind of distract me from that. But I can repent from that and immediately follow Jesus again and completely give him my heart no matter the cost. So you're not going to do this perfectly. You're not going to do it completely all the time. But by his grace and by his power, you can repent from those things and then continue to follow him. So the question remains as we close today for each of you. Will you follow Jesus? Will you repent from believing that anything else in this life can compare with him? Will you count the cost and see that Jesus is worth it? no matter what. Will you follow him immediately and completely? No excuse to slow you down. Will you follow him completely, giving him your whole heart and your life? These are questions that only you can answer. And they're questions that you really do need to take seriously and to ponder in your heart and to pray through these things. Because Jesus, he is worthy of you following him. He is worthy of any trial, difficulty, persecution that you might experience in this life, even feeling awkward sometimes by giving the name of Jesus to other people. He is worth you dropping your nets to follow him. He's worthy of your heart. So the question is, will you follow him? So if you will, pray with me for a few minutes. I'll give you just a minute or two to, to think about this and to pray in your hearts, and then I'll close this in prayer, and then, and then Jerry will come back up in just a minute. Jesus, we thank you for your word, um, that even though sometimes it can be hard, it can, it's still good for us. Uh, we thank you that 
it has the power to convict us, but it also has the, the power to save us, to bring us to salvation as we hear your gospel and understand the truth. And so I ask for each of us, for myself as well as for everyone listening today, that um, you will teach us what it means to follow you. And we confess to you even now that uh, there's been many times where we are like these would-be disciples, where we say that we follow you or want to follow you, but, but something else distracts us or prevents us. Um, or when it gets really, really hard, we, we back down from following you. We confess our sin in these things, and we ask that you will help us to, to learn what it means to truly follow you completely with all of our hearts, our minds, our soul, our strength, within our entire lives. And we ask through your Holy Spirit that you'll help us to do so, um, to follow you completely and to be willing to count the cost and to go out into the world and to, to make other disciples. We thank you that we don't have to do this on our own, that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be a good, perfect person or disciple, uh, but we are covered by your righteousness. And because of these things, because you're with us, we can step out in obedience and obey um, your word. So I ask that you'll help each of us to count the costs and to help each of us to, in our hearts, have the desire and the ability to obey you and to follow you completely. Guide and direct us this week and um, just continue to go before us. Help us to continue to study your word, to not let it end right now in this moment, um, but in our time with you this week to be able to give our hearts fully to you. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.